1995, John Gleason, who was a federal judge, was presiding over a case in a Brooklyn court. The case involved a man named Francois Holloway. Holloway was accused of committing a series of carjackings with a friend whose dad ran a chop shop in Queens. They had a chop shop, chopped up cars, and sold the parts. That's Judge Gleason. And to get the cars to chop up, Francois Holloway committed three armed robberies in a 24-hour spin. But he basically, with an accomplice, put a gun in the face of three car owners. They handed over the keys, and he uh, stole the cars and chopped them up. He got caught and got tried in my courtroom. A jury found Holloway guilty, and Judge Gleason sentenced him to 57 years in prison. But two decades later, Judge Gleason did something almost unheard of. He helped undo the very sentence he imposed that day. Our colleague Corinne Ramey covers the justice system. I don't think I'm aware of any other case where a judge takes somebody who he sentenced a long time ago and then actually reduces that sentence, effectively getting him out of prison. For Gleason, the Holloway case was just the beginning. Now he's on a mission to get other violent offenders with long sentences out from behind bars. It is infinitely more difficult and infinitely more satisfying to get people out of prison than it was to put them in. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Wednesday, February 17th. Coming up on the show, why one federal judge went from sentencing criminals to years in prison to trying to set them free, and whether his strategy could possibly catch on. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. John Gleason started out his career as a prosecutor And by the time he was 38, he was prosecuting some pretty high-profile and dangerous criminals. I wound up spending almost my entire 10 years as a prosecutor investigating and prosecuting gangsters, crime bosses, underbosses, consulieres, captains, maid guys. I was assigned to prosecute John Gotti, the boss of the Gambino family. Gotti was convicted and received a life sentence. In 1994, Gleason was appointed by President Bill Clinton to be a federal judge. And pretty quickly into his time on the bench, a part of his job started to bother him. For certain cases, he was required to hand down long prison sentences, even if he thought they were too severe for the crime. The reason he had to do that is because in the years before Gleason got to the bench, there was a big change in the criminal justice system. Laws were passed that vastly expanded what are called mandatory minimum sentences. These are sentences that judges are required to hand down if someone is convicted of certain crimes. Supporters of the new laws said that they would bring more transparency and fairness to the process. The idea was if you committed one crime and I committed the same crime and we're in different courtrooms with different judges, previously I could have gotten five years, you would have gotten 30 just because we had different judges on our cases. 
And mandatory minimums made sure that we were treated the same, even if our skin colors were different or our genders were different or any other number of things. Looking back, Gleason says there was another reason for the mandatory minimums. They were tougher on crime. The world was different back then. The murder rate in, in New York was seven times what it is today. So many of these mandatory minimum provisions were enacted in a period of time when people were scared and people saw the world in a way different than the way we see it today. Gleason understood the reasoning for the laws, but he also felt that they came with a downside. Without more discretion, he thought judges were sometimes forced to hand down sentences that were too long. That's what he says happened in the case of Francois Holloway, the man who did the carjackings in the 90s for that chop shop. In that 1995 case, prosecutors charged Holloway with crimes including three counts of carjacking and three counts of using and carrying a firearm. Mandatory sentences applied in Holloway's case because of the firearms law he was charged under. It's called 924C, and it also has another element to it. When you have multiple 924C counts, they're stacked on top of each other. They're consecutive. So that means that, unlike most sentences, which tend to run at the same time with multiple counts, these, you just keep adding them together. This can result in really, really long sentences, like more than 100 years. When Francois Holloway was convicted, I was forced to impose a 57-year sentence. So I had to impose a sentence on him that was, in essence, a life without parole sentence for three, no doubt, serious crimes involving a weapon. They were serious crimes, but they were not the kind of crimes for which, in our country, people are required to die in prison. So that sentence that I had to impose rankled me for years. One of the reasons it stuck with him was because Holloway kept writing him letters from prison. For almost two decades, while Gleason was on the bench and Holloway was behind bars, he wrote, asking for his help. Eventually, in 2014, Gleason agreed to try. Holloway had written you letters before, so why was it this time that you decided to try and do something? Because it had been bothering me for so long, and he had gotten so far into his sentence— By then, he had served almost two decades. So I felt that he had already served a very severe sentence. He had served at that point as much as the average federal sentence for murder. So I felt it appropriate. I thought it was basically enough is enough. Gleason decided that he wanted to get Holloway out of prison. But to do that, Gleason would need to convince the prosecutor's office, the same office that brought the charges against Holloway two decades earlier, to drop some of them. Prosecutors can vacate some of the counts because prosecutors are the ones that brought those counts at trial. This is not a common thing. This is not something that you see almost ever. Despite the long odds, Gleason made his plea to the prosecutor in charge, who at the time was Loretta Lynch. I said, there's a good reason for you as the U.S. attorney to show some compassion and recognize that this is an excessive sentence Your predecessor had to force him to spend 57 years instead of 20. But come on, let's inject a little justice into this sentence and agree to vacate the counts for which he got 57 years so I can give him the rest of his life back. And Lynch agreed. After 19 years in prison, Francois Holloway was going to be a free man. Word of what Gleason achieved in the Holloway case quickly spread throughout the entire federal prison system. 
after the Holloway case, I became extremely popular with that segment of the uh, inmate population in the Bureau of Prisons. Many violent offenders that were in similar situations as Holloway knew that they had very few avenues for recourse, and they began to think Gleason could be their only chance at freedom. So they started flooding him with letters, asking for his help. This category of inmates, they are extremely desperate because they're serving absurdly long sentences. And because they committed violent crimes, they really have no chance as a practical matter for clemency. So I would write back to them and say, I can't really help you, but I wish you luck. As a judge, there wasn't much Gleason could do for these inmates. Unlike with Holloway, he never presided over their cases. But two years later, in 2016, Gleason left the bench and entered private practice as a defense attorney. And that year, the national conversation around race and justice would lead him to take more action. That first summer that he's at his new law firm, there's a couple shootings of Black men by police. This is the summer of 2016. They have this meeting at the firm, the whole firm, and the firm wanted to do something in response to kind of racial justice issues. That Holloway experience being recently in my past, my idea was, well, let's start a Holloway project. The Holloway Project aimed to address racial inequities in the justice system. And Gleason decided to focus on that firearms law that Holloway had been originally convicted under, 924C. According to a federal report, about 94% of the people found guilty on multiple 924C counts are Black or Hispanic. And Gleason knew exactly where to start. I had a client base waiting for me in the form of the letters from all the guys like Francois Holloway who were doing these sentences. So Gleason went to work to try to help them. He thought he could take the same approach he'd taken with Holloway. Let's see if we can get other U.S. attorneys to do what Loretta Lynch did, to agree to vacate convictions specifically targeted at the results of an extremely harsh mandatory sentencing provision that was used against Black men in numbers that far exceeded the way it was used against other defendants. But this plan didn't work. U.S. attorneys weren't eager to free violent criminals. None agreed to help, and one even told them that his efforts would set a potentially dangerous precedent. Then, a new law was passed that would change Gleason's luck. That's after the break. How well do we know the people we work with every day? We share lunches, jokes, and deadlines, but are we aware of the unseen struggles we often face silently? Stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or feeling misunderstood at work? Through insight, awareness, and empathy, we can start to better see the issues our coworkers are dealing with, and that can make us and our companies healthier, too. Join Holly Robinson-Pete and her guests on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com journal. Terms and conditions apply. In 2018, Congress passed a major bipartisan criminal justice reform bill called the First Step Act. 
Among other things, it eased mandatory minimums. I mean, the main purpose was to sort of change various things about the prison system. There was a goal of kind of reducing the amount of inmates in the federal prison system. At first, it didn't seem like the law would be of much help to Gleason and his Holloway project. The First Step Act did reduce mandatory sentences tied to 924C charges, but it only applied to future cases. But then, Gleason got an idea. There was a little epiphany moment, and it occurred when I was on the phone with one of my clients, and he said to me, how about we make a compassionate release motion? Compassionate release. Normally, it was only used for inmates who were old or sick, but the First Step Act changed how these requests were handled, and it opened the door for more inmates to bring their requests to court. In that conversation, I pulled the book down off the shelf and saw that the statute itself allowed for motions to be made by anyone whose case presented extraordinary and compelling circumstances. What could be more extraordinary and compelling than to serve what is basically life without parole for crimes in which no one was hurt and little was stolen, and the sentencing provision that was used to impose that sentence has since been repealed by Congress. I thought, wow, here we go, that's our window, and we're going through it. One of the people Gleason got to try this new strategy on was with a 55-year-old man named Todd Ellerby. Ellerby in 93 and 94 was involved with a violent robbery gang that robbed credit unions and post offices, threatened people with guns. He restrained people with handcuffs, duct tape. Ellerby was one of the inmates who'd started writing Gleason after the Holloway case. But I've seen a case like Holloway. If he got some uh, relief, then why shouldn't I be able to get any relief? And we got the same situation. And then I wrote Judge Gleason several times. And finally, the fourth time, he uh, reached back out to me. Ellerby had been sentenced to 52 years and three months. When Gleason saw the facts of the case, he thought Ellerby would be a good candidate. We took on Todd's case because we saw that there was no lasting physical injury. The weapon wasn't fired. Not a great amount of money was taken in his robberies. And Todd was almost a quarter century into his sentence. Once we scrutinized his case, we knew he was a perfect person for the Holloway Project, so we took on his case. Ellerby had a good prison record. He had sort of taken various classes and had done well for himself in prison. I mean, I got a, a degree in theology. I got my associates. I got a, I was teaching classes, so... I was doing all the right things up until that point. On September 11th of last year, Ellerby was granted a resentencing hearing. Gleason's defense team argued that Ellerby should be released. And the critical part of it, the part that I'll remember until I go to my grave, was when the judge asked Todd if he wanted to say anything, and he did. I was very emotional. I was, I, tears came on my eyes. I was literally tearing up. I told the judge that day that... I know that opportunities like this are, are very rare. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. And if I had the opportunity to do it all over again, that this would never take place. I told him that I took full responsibility for everything that took place in the past. And truly, this incarceration had changed my life for the rest of my life. And uh, if given the opportunity, I wouldn't squander it. At the end of the hearing, the judge agreed to release LRB. I fell down to my knees, crying, literally. Oh my goodness, just the thought of me walking out of prison, a free man, after 26 years in prison. You know, I had 20 years remaining on my sentence. 
oh man, it's still emotional when I think of it. Tell me about the moment that you actually got out. What did it feel like? To be walking outside of prison without no shackles on my feet, no handcuffs on my hand was like a feeling like no other. Man, it's just really indescribable. It was excitement. It was joy. It was happiness all rolled up in one. Since his release, LRB has moved to Los Angeles with his fiance and works in the entertainment business. For Gleason, the strategy is starting to work. In just under a year, Gleason and his team have gotten 14 inmates out of prison. Judge Gleason, do you think that this is a strategy that could catch on, that more lawyers and prisoners might try? I hope so. We've succeeded in more cases than we've failed, and we've succeeded in all four of the federal courts of appeals that have addressed it. We're hoping to convince all of those courts of appeals, and that will signal to the sentencing judges, the district judges around the country, it's okay to do this. Gleason's efforts are likely to continue to face opposition, though. Corinne pointed out that in every case Gleason's brought, prosecutors have opposed early release. I think the fact that prosecutors have opposed this also speaks to how hard it is to change the justice system. Like, it's not like DOJ is like, oh, good idea. Let's let these people out. They're not saying that. They're saying, no, let's keep them in there. And just sort of think about whether we should free violent criminals. You have to sort of grapple with these ideas of how much do people change and do people deserve second chances. In some ways, the criminal justice system is changing sort of our ideas of what's fair and who belongs in prison, that these are ideas that are sort of continually shifting. That's all for today, Wednesday, February 17th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. If you like the show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We're out every weekday afternoon. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.